0: Welcome to PhotoActive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Masters of Photography, online masterclasses with the greatest photographers in the world. We'll have a special offer for you on Masters of Photography courses later in the show. Welcome to another episode of Photoactive. Jeff, it's good to see you again. It is so good to see you and hear your voice. How are the New Year's resolutions coming along? Oh, unfortunately, I haven't been able to do much. The weather's been terrible. It's been between rain and cold, and and it's dark here so early. I did take a picture of a bird this morning, and maybe we'll talk about it later, and we'll use that as an example of some of what we're going to discuss. Today, we want to discuss words, vocabulary. You know, here we are with images, and you can look at images, and you don't need to necessarily say anything about them. But once you start editing them, then you need to use words to know what you're editing. You use the words that the applications you use present to you. You may go to a photo editing app, and you may want to change the exposure. So you really need to know what exposure means. You may want to change the contrast, and you kind of need to know what that means. And I think exposure and contrast are among the terms that most of us know. But if you look through some of these apps, you see how many terms there are. Plus, if you compare some apps with others where they use different terminology, it turns into a real word salad. So today, we're going to look at the words that we use in photo editing apps,
1: all these terms that we use to adjust different elements of a photo. This is one of those things that trips people up because there are also a lot of terms that are very similar. For example, my photo is dark. Do I want to adjust the exposure? Do I want to adjust the brilliance? the whites or maybe brightness. The reality is, and this is totally valid, we often jump in and we just start moving sliders. And that's great because you're reacting to it in a visual way, you wanna see what happens. But it does definitely help to know a little bit more about what these things are doing so that you can be more deliberate about it. And then ultimately, if you have a whole bunch of photos that you wanna edit, If you're just randomly moving things, that's going to take up a lot of time. But if you know that this image really could benefit from some brightness, not exposure, you do that and then you move on to the next thing. And I think the
0: complication of image editing programs has led so many people to use presets. the other day, one of these photo websites that I follow on Twitter, they had an article, 15,000 Lightroom presets for $29. First of all, a preset means you're taking someone's idea of what a generic photo might look like. It Has nothing to do with the photo that you're actually using. The second, fifteen thousand. How do you choose? You know, if I look at something like Snapseed, or or I had a subscription to what is it, Visco X, for a year a couple of years ago. That's the one on iOS where you get literally hundreds of different presets. And after a while, you probably just whittle it down to six of them that you think. Look good, but then you find another photo and they don't look good. Then you start looking again. And the whole idea of presets is to
1: save time, but in many ways, it just makes things more confusing. What we want to talk about here is really having a better understanding of your controls so that you don't need to fall back on a preset, or you can be able to look at your image and say, All right, I know exactly what this needs. And you can do a little bit of experimentation, but do it in a directed way. And I think. We're mostly going to just talk about the Photos app, and then we'll, we'll also throw in some of the things like Lightroom a- as we go. Right. It's worth
0: noting that the Photos app doesn't have any presets. Well, that's not actually correct. I think there's 12. If you're editing a your photo in the Photos app, you click Filters, you have, here are the, pre- the presets. Original, Vivid, Vivid Warm, Vivid Cool, Dramatic, Dramatic Warm, Dramatic Cool, Mono, Silvertone, and Noir. So that's all the presets in the Photos app. And I've often wondered why Apple doesn't use more presets, but you can get presets if you use an external image editor that you open as an editing extension in Photos. We'll talk about that whole editing extension thing in another episode at some point, because that gets a little bit janky. But it's true that Apple has not gone the whole preset route. Unlike, you know, Instagram has a certain number of, what they call them filters, Snapseed, Visco. They all have presets because... That's what most people want. They just want something. And most people are not editing photos. You know, the vast majority of people, this is like a 1% thing. 99% of people never do anything other than maybe put a filter or a preset. And then 1% of people might want to do a little bit more. Okay, so let's start. If you're on your Mac, select a photo, press Command-Return, and that opens the editing interface. You'll see that there's black all around it. There's a black toolbar, and there's a section on the right which has a bunch of sliders. Now, if you've never accessed any of these... All you'll see is sliders which show a kind of a thumbnail of your photo. They're called light, color, black, and white, and then some others. In order to get more control out of these sliders, click the little triangles to the left of each one. So you'll see if you do that next to light, it expands and you'll see options. You'll see brilliance, exposure, highlights, shadows, brightness, contrast, and black point. So these are the basic elements that affect the lightness, the darkness, the contrast, the relationship between light and dark in your photos. If you start with the first slider, brilliance, look at the photo that you have, drag it up a little bit, drag it down a little bit. You'll see that it seems to be altering more than just the exposure or the brightness or the light. It seems to be a combination of a number of elements. It seems to be, in addition to the light and the exposure, there's also some contrast changes. There's also shadows and and highlights that are changing slightly. So it's almost as if brilliance is
1: a kind of amalgamation of the six other sliders below that. I don't know if it's using any sort of AI or machine learning, but it's doing several operations at once at a finer level than you get from the large light slider. In the description where it says it applies region-specific adjustments, it's analyzing all these little areas and realizing, okay, this little pocket needs to be brighter, but we're not going to make the sky brighter, for example. And The big light slider, that's like editing with a large cannon to make it work, whereas this is like a small pistol. And that is the world's worst uh, metaphor for editing. No, I think it's a good point, because I'm I'm looking at a photo, and
0: I'm going to put this photo in the show notes. It's a photo of a friendly robin that I took this morning. So if I move the light slider, everything gets lighter. But if I move the brilliant slider... The sky doesn't get bright that quickly. There's more of a, a gradual addition of contrast and shadows and highlights. And if anything, if you've got a photo that's a bit drab, drag it to the right a little bit and see what happens. It's going to liven it up. If your photo's a little bit too bright or overexposed, drag it to the left and darken it a little bit before you mess with the
1: exposure. I think Apple is basing this control on a person's perception and a person's experience, because you look at a picture, it just needs a little something extra. If you were to increase the exposure or if you push on the shadows, like that might be too much. But by offering something called brilliance, you're like, like it just needs a little bit of extra oomph. Oomph. That's kind of what, how I think of it. Oomph. Like brilliance is, is the oomph. The oomph slider. The oomph control, yeah. And oftentimes after you've, you've done All of your other options here in the lighting, you just nudge the brilliance up a bit, and it just adds a little cherry on top. So the next slider is exposure, and
0: that is the Canon. That just brightens everything or darkens everything. Now, you want to use this if your photo's underexposed or if it's overexposed, particularly if you're shooting in RAW. If you're shooting in JPEG, your results won't be as good. But if you're using a RAW image, you'll be able to make a lot
1: of differences in exposure without it being too bright or too dark? Exposure is actually something that I would go to first. Recently, I've started trying a different route, and this will bump us down to the brightness slider. Lightroom and some other apps, instead of brightness, you have something called whites. And what I've started doing is not touching exposure at all if something is underexposed. I'll increase the brightness or I'll, I'll increase the whites level to bring up some of that light and then take the black point or the black level and bring that down. And I've found that I can often bring my image up to the level that I want it without hitting exposure. Because when you do use the exposure, it just blasts light everywhere. Whereas whites and brightness that will just hit the the brightest, lightest tones in the image, and again, you know, it's it's that that subtleness. At least the way I think we tend to edit is, you want to enhance what you already shot because what you shot is probably pretty good, unless you're you know really trying to salvage something that was dramatically underexposed. In that case, you know go with the exposure, but you want to just make it a little bit better, and using brightness versus exposure is a good first step to do that. You want to finesse
0: it. Finesse it, yes. And you can use brightness to finesse it. So after exposure, you have two sliders, highlights and shadows, and you'll see this in every single image editing program. If you don't really understand what this means, you might think that they're actually the highlights and the shadows, that the highlights are the bright parts and the shadows are... Well, in the picture that we're going to show with the robin on the tree, the shadows on the sides of the branches. But it's not really what it is. The highlights are the, the bits at the right end of the histogram, so the brightest pixels. It doesn't matter whether they're in a shadow, because a shadow can still have brightness. And the shadows are the darkest parts of a photo. They're not necessarily shadows. It could be someone wearing a black T-shirt. These allow you to make subtle changes which can be drastic if you go too far. Usually, you probably only want to make small changes to shadows and highlights. You increase highlights by moving the slider to the right. You increase shadows by moving the slider to the left. And that's a little bit counterintuitive, but that corresponds to the histogram. And if you're not seeing the histogram, choose View, Show Histogram, and you may have to click the Disclosure triangle to display it. The histogram, we're going to do a whole episode on histograms, so don't worry too much, but you'll see... If you take a photo and you drag the highlights to the right, you'll see the curves on the histogram move to the right. If you drag to the left, they move to the left. So the highlights are moving the entire image toward the right of the histogram, which is an overall image of the brightness of your photo. The shadows move the entire image to the left. And particularly, if you have anything that's already dark, you're going to see a big rise in the curve at the left end of
1: the histogram. Shadows is one of those controls where you can really overdo it you want to bring light to dark areas and the shadow slider will pull up those midtones and oftentimes give you really great results when you have like an underexposed foreground, for example. The problem is as you add more shadow detail, it can wash out the image a bit. So the last two
0: are contrast and black point, And I think everyone understands contrast. It makes the distinction between dark and light stronger or weaker. Contrast can help give a photo a kind of filmic image if you increase it. Make a photo look washed out if you decrease it. And in some photos, if you go too far, it gets really funky. And I'm just taking my bird picture and putting the contrast all the way to the left. And it looks like
1: one of these dye transfer things on acid. Contrast is also, um, again, sort of like exposure. It can be a big hammer. It can be something that you, if you adjust it too far... Uh, the results are really dramatic. Going back to the same idea with uh, using brightness and black point, I've also found that um, adjusting those two can give you the contrast that you want without having to use the contrast slider or to use the contrast slider in in smaller degrees. Because um, there's a curious thing in, in Lightroom I've noticed. If you click the auto button, What it's doing is it's actually using algorithms based on the Adobe Sensei machine learning algorithm network. And that's basically coming from Sensei analyzing, you know, hundreds of thousands of photos that have been uploaded. Right. And I've noticed over the past year or so, it seems to default to a low contrast application for almost all my shots and i would say 80% of what it does is great and yet everything looks a little bit washed out that's because that washed out image is a bit of a trend now isn't it i think that's exactly it i think it's it's picking up on those trends and and assuming that okay this is a landscape or this this is a landscape with a you know a a perceived sunset or sunrise I know how to to adapt that, and so it applies those settings. So what often happens is the contrast will be way too low for me. It'll be a little bit washed out, and nudging it back up gives it a little more crispness, a little more uh, depth that I'm looking for. I like to use black point because it gives it... uh, I
0: I mentioned that contrast can give it a more filmic look, particularly in color. Black point can also do that as well. Apple in their help defines black point as... It sets the point at which the darkest parts of the image become completely black without any detail. Setting the black point can improve the contrast in a washed-out image. Conversely, if you slide the black point to the left, you get that washed-out look that is a bit trendy, almost like you've got a veil of fog in front of your photo. So this is something that you may want that particular look, but this is something that you can play around with. To, to see how it alters things. Now, we, we've got seven sliders, but the first thing, and we've mentioned this in the past, the first thing you should do, look at your picture, click the auto button, see what Apple thinks is good, then move some of the sliders that have already moved, then maybe click the little uh, left-pointing arrow, which is the undo thing, and go back to the beginning, try the sliders yourself, go back to the auto, play around until you get familiar with it. I think Apple's auto suggestions are often very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at color and white balance and a couple of other settings. Masters of Photography is a unique online learning platform that brings together some of the world's most acclaimed photographers, the Masters. You can enjoy an unprecedented insight into the way these photographers work during intimate lessons that capture their knowledge, ethos, and philosophy. I've taken the Masters of Photography course with Joel Myrowitz, one of my favorite photographers, and I was impressed by his passion for photography and his desire to transmit his knowledge to others. With more than five hours of video and 34 lessons, Joel Myrowitz discusses technique, inspiration, and his career, and gives some practical tips about shooting in the street, taking portraits, and even still-life photography. I strongly recommend this course with Joel Myrowitz, and Masters of Photography has a special offer for photoactive listeners. Get 5% off any course with the code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to mastersof.photography and enter the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE or use the link in our show notes. That's mastersof.photography. I really enjoyed this course, and I think you will too. We've gone over the first section called light. Now we're going to go over the second section called color. As you'll see, there's a light strip. You can drag it. What you'll notice is if you drag that slider over the little light strip with the thumbnail, sometimes it'll just move saturation, sometimes it'll move two or three of the sliders, and it really depends on the photo. Saturation is really subjective. I think one of the keys to color photography is that we always want the colors to be brighter than what we really saw in reality, because for some reason, you know, that sunset, it was just so awesome, but on the picture, it's just so bland, and it must have been brighter than that. Or this robin, Uh, You know, orange, this orange on the robin's breast. I mean, it definitely looked more orange than what I'm seeing in the photo. So you can use the general slider and you can also move the saturation on its own. You can move the contrast on its own. Now, this contrast is a little bit different than the contrast up above. This is the contrast in colors as opposed to light. And the cast is what gives it a cooler or warmer
1: look. Cooler to the left being bluer and warmer to the right being redder. Color and saturation... Really comes into play with raw files too, because raw files on their own tend to be a little uh, washed out a little less colorful, and bringing that that saturation up uh, will often put you at like the starting point of of what you remembered that scene to be. I think the real danger here is overdoing it. Because it's so easy to say, you know, that sky was so blue when I was there. And so you crank it up. And then you realize that, oh, my gosh, there there are patches that are just... You know way overdone again, you can look in your your histogram and see where colors have been pushed all the way to the left or all the way to the right. My general rule of thumb is to increase saturation and then just automatically back off because it's it's so easy to do, and it's also one of those things if you go to you know Flickr or Instagram or five hundred px it's something that you will see a lot. Like people have cranked the saturation so much that everything looks comical. And, you know, if that's what you're going for, great. But most of the time it it says either you don't really know what you're doing or that you're just, I don't know, trying too hard to maybe take a a so-so picture and, and push it out of the way. Now, cast, I think, is really interesting in the Photos app, because we also have the white balance control. And I've typically been a little frustrated with Cast because it's just warm and cool. And whereas white balance has more control over that warmth
0: throughout. Yes. In white balance, you have two settings. You have temperature and tint. So the temperature is the warmer and the cooler and the tint is the range within that color. We're not going to get into too many details about this because you're dealing with temperatures in degrees Kelvin. And I don't know about you, but I have never experienced 4,702 degrees Kelvin, which is currently what the temperature shows when, after I moved the slider on my bird picture. One thing to notice that either white balance or the cast in the color section is something you use to correct a photo where the lighting isn't quite right. Everyone knows golden hour, that last hour before the sun's setting, and, and things look a little bit yellowish. Well, sometimes photos actually come out too yellow, and you might want to move that cast slider a little bit to the left to tone down the yellow. Or you might want to make something look yellower, like it is golden hour, and you can use the cast for that. Or you might be in some kind of artificial lighting, and if you don't adjust the white balance, which we'll talk about in a second, you might want to adjust the cast in order to make things look better. The cast doesn't have the same kind of effect as any of the other color or light settings. It's really just a temperature setting, moving things slightly. Now, white balance is interesting. Most cameras have automatic white balance and probably everyone uses automatic white balance unless you're indoors. Let's say you're, do, do they still use tungsten lights in like sports arenas? I know that used to be a thing back in the day. I remember when, when I went to see hockey games back in the day, I had my little camera and they would all have an orange cast to them from the tungsten lights because the, the Kodachrome that I used was meant for outdoor lighting. And this is something you can fix in White Balance. Now, there's two things you can do with White Balance. The first is you can get yourself a White Balance card, which is perfect white, and you can take a picture of it. And when you import that picture into Photos, you can click the little eyedropper and then click on the white, and then Photos will take that as white and set the temperature. When you look at that temperature, you can apply that same temperature to other photos you've taken in the same light. So you can use... The the white balance card is a kind of color grading mechanism to get yourself a benchmark, and then you can later apply that temperature to other photos. The other thing you can do is if there is a pure white section of your photo, click the little eyedropper, then click on that white section of your photo, and this will tell photos that that's the white part and it will adjust the color. Sometimes this is kind of hit or miss. If it's not like perfectly white, it'll be cast a little too warm, a
1: little too cool, so try again in a slightly different location until you get it right. White balance is one of those controls that I also am not afraid to fudge a bit with. So, you know, here I've been talking about, you know, trying to be true to the original image and not going overboard, but white balance, especially if you're shooting uh, outdoor scenes um, and you do want a little bit more of that, that golden hour look, nudging the white balance more to the warmer side of the spectrum can really give you that, that golden look without making it seem like you've completely overdone it. Now, the telltale sign is if you have something that really is white, like let's say you have a waterfall or you know somebody's shirt that is that is white. If you Push that warmth too far, it's going to be immediately obvious that oh, this has been a white balance adjustment. This was not the light during the day, so you have to be sort of careful and and look for those types of areas. But you can absolutely you know warm up a cloudy day. You can warm up uh, the edge of a sunset to give it that little bit of drama that matches more of what you had in mind when you when you saw it. Another interesting thing about Apple's implementation of white balance, it has a few different options. So you're not just shooting things more toward a warmer or cooler spectrum. There's a pop-up menu, and by default, it, it's set to neutral gray. So you're trying to find that sort of generic, warm, or cool. But there's also a skin tone option, and there's also temperature and tint. So if you are just looking for the temperature of the image, but you don't want to make all the people in it completely orange-skinned like Oompa Loompas, you can use that pop-up menu, and what Photos will do is it will adjust the temperature, but honor the color of the faces, basically. Jumping back to color real quick, this is related. In a lot of other programs, there's a vibrance setting in addition to saturation. And what vibrance will do, vibrance will increase the saturation but respect those skin tones. And so I think what Apple's doing here is using some of the same algorithms so that you're not making things unrealistic, but you are giving that warmth or coolness to the image. Okay, we're going to skip a few here. We're going to skip
0: curves and levels, and that's going to be a topic for another show because I don't understand them myself. We're going to have to get a guest to explain that. I want to briefly touch on selective color because I find this really interesting. Let's say, for example, you've taken a picture, I don't know, a robin on a tree with a blue sky in the background, and you want the blue to be a little bit more blue. Take, Click the eyedropper, click on the blue sky someplace, and then increase the saturation slider. What that's going to do is it's going to take that exact color and change the saturation, but it won't affect anything else in the photo. Now, since the robin doesn't really have any blue in it, the robin's color won't change. If you do that in a photo where you wanna raise the blue of the sky, but someone's wearing a blue t-shirt, then it's gonna look weird. So you have to be very careful when you use this. The same thing is, let's say you wanna increase the color of the green grass, select the green and increase the saturation. You can change the hue, which alters the tone of the color,
1: the luminance, which is the brightness, the range, which is, I don't know what it is actually. It seems like most of the things that I'm bringing up are ways to cheat. And selective color is one of those. During the fall, I went out and shot a bunch of fall color and really enjoyed doing that. But again, the the leaves weren't quite the golden that I was hoping for. And that was the only day that I had available to do it. So using the selective color controls can really help in a scene like that. So for example, you can take the yellow, if you have mostly yellow leaves and change the hue, change the saturation on those a little bit and make your yellows a little more orange. And you can, you know, get more of that that like autumn effect just by using selective color rather than pumping the overall saturation. One thing to note is that If you change the
0: yellow, you're also gonna be changing the orange because yellow is part of orange. And if you change the red, you're also gonna be changing the orange. So selective color is, uh, you know, it's looking at, it's giving you six colors. It's giving you red, orange, green, blue, cyan, magenta, basically. And these colors aren't absolute. They're not limited to specific areas. So use this carefully, but try it. Do try it when you're taking a photo and you want more green in the grass or blue in the sky or, or yellow in the leaves. So we've got noise reduction and sharpening. And I must admit, I never use these. I know that noise reduction is the kind of thing that essentially takes the pixels and blurs them. So you don't see when there's a lot of noise for high ISO. When you use a high ISO, there's more noise in in your photos. But I never really shoot like that. And sharpening, I always see in photo groups on the internet, oh, I put sharpening to 25 in Lightroom and all. I just never even use it.
1: I tend to use it in very, very small amounts because there's a whole other discussion about sharpening for output, for printing, and for for you know uh, sharing on screen. But if I do any sharpening, it's because something is just a little bit fuzzy. This is definitely not a control where you say, oh, the person that I'm taking a picture of is a little bit out of focus because the camera focused on the background instead of, instead of the foreground. So I'm just going to apply sharpening, and it'll make them sharp. Like, that never works. It never, ever, ever works. Don't do it. It's not like in 24, where they say enhance that picture, and they can zoom in on you know someone's phone screen or something. Exactly, exactly. And so um, sharpening really needs to be to give just like a little bit of extra crispness. Do you have you have foreground images like grass or something in the foreground? Like that's great, but sharpening is really something to be applied in in small measure. Same with noise reduction. Noise reduction. Noise reduction can help you with, say, high ISO shots that have a lot of noise. However, it is really easy to go from slightly noisy to an impressionist painting using the noise reduction control. So use it very, very sparingly. And as with some of the ones above, click the auto button,
0: see what it does. If you like it, leave it like that, tweak the sliders. If you don't like it, take it off. It's not that big a deal.
1: The last thing I wanna bring up between uh, sharpening, also there's also a definition control here. And definition sounds a lot like sharpening. And definition is um, the the control in a lot of other programs. uh, They call it clarity. And what that's doing is it's looking at Contrast, but doing it in a smart way, sort of like what we were talking about with with brilliance. It's it's enhancing contrast, but at a, a finer level, and so again, it's also something that it can add a little bit of crispness, a little bit of pop to your image. Uh, you go too far, and it just becomes a you know a mess, like a like a hard edged mess. Okay, we're gonna stop
0: there. I hope some of this made sense because. Really, a lot of this is instinctive. That you use one of these apps for years and you get to know what they do and as you mentioned the terms are different in Lightroom and Photoshop and other apps. Some have more options, some have fewer options. Again, try the auto settings for everything and see what that does. And then play with the sliders. Oh, one tip. If you want to go to 11 or 12 or 13 past the end of the slider, If you press the option key on your keyboard and you go to click a slider, you'll find that the scale doubles depending on which slider it is. It increases for most of them. So if you want to oversaturate even more, you can double the amount of saturation or double the amount of contrast. Use this very sparingly, but there are times when you want a photo to look
1: really fake, don't you? If you have a raw photo that's really dramatically underexposed, give give the option trick a try in photos because sometimes that'll pull out more detail than you thought was possible. Again, because th- there's a lot more latitude with raw files. And, you know, if you want to go with clown show, hey, you know, photography is art, so go crazy. We're not going to judge you well. We might judge you, but not severely. So it's time for our snapshots. Jeff, do you have anything this week? I do. I have a gadget. It is the USB-C travel dock from OWC. And what's interesting about this is I can use this for my MacBook Pro, but I can also use it for this year's iPad Pro because the iPad Pro now has a USB-C port. Uh, This includes a memory card reader, Uh, a, a little power adapter, you can connect USB devices to it, which for the iPad can sometimes let you plug in like a wired keyboard. But it also has an HDMI output, so you can output to uh, a TV or something if you're presenting. It's it's fairly compact, certainly you know something you can throw in your bag. Um, it's not too expensive. Uh, it's either $39 or $49, depending on the color that you want. And I found that it can replace a couple of different dongles. Kirk, what do you have this week? I've got more a tip than an
0: actual item. I mean, it's an item that we both have, that we all have. It's my iPhone, but it's a tip about doing something with the iPhone to help your photography. A couple weeks ago, I was writing an article about a piece of hardware, and I needed to take some photos of it to go along with the article. I have a, a new kitchen workspace, which is made of bamboo, and that's really good for shooting things on it because it's not too bright, not too dark. So I set up my camera on a tripod, and... You've got lights from the ceiling. You've got lights coming around in different angles. And, you know, you can hold up a reflector and all that. But I realized that if I wanted to get light from a specific angle onto that item, I could just take my iPhone, turn on its flashlight, and use that. The iPhone flashlight is surprisingly creative. And you could even use this, let's say, in a portrait. If you're shooting a portrait of someone at night, have them hold the iPhone with the flashlight pointing up but out of the frame The light you get from the iPhone is very bright. It's it's a pretty neutral color cast, so you won't have to worry too much about white balance afterwards. You can move it around. And so I was shooting these pictures with a remote because generally, if I'm shooting anything like that, I want to shoot with the smallest aperture possible. So I'm going to be shooting very slow, a quarter of a second, an eighth of a second, and it doesn't matter because it's on a tripod. The objects aren't moving. And this light lets you just add that little extra touch of getting a light from a specific angle without having complicated lights. So everyone has one of these, I assume, a smartphone with a flashlight. Think about using it when you're taking pictures. It could be even, let's say you're taking a macro photo of a flower and you want to get some light coming from a specific angle, a portrait, a picture of of anything. Don't try to take a picture of the moon using the light from your iPhone, though.
1: A tip that I recently learned about the flashlight is if you press and hold the flashlight button, you can change the output of it. So you can do a light version or a really strong version, and that comes in handy too.
0: Okay, if anyone has been inspired to explore more of these uh, editing settings in the Photos app or any other app, do post some photos in our Facebook group, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 5% off any course at Masters of Photography with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word. Until next week, thanks again for listening.